I need to come at you with a star-studded list that you are never going to expect what all of these people have in common. Oh, God. Okay. Listening. Number one, Maya Angelou. Hmm. Number two, Heath Ledger. Number three, James Roday, personal favorite. Number four, Natasha Lyonne. Number five, Grumpy Cat, rest is peace. Number six, Rebecca Rubin. Wow. I was going to say, like, people who are dead, but I don't believe that's universally true there. You hit me with Natasha Lyonne, so tough. No. All of these people and Jamie Lynn Spears share a birthday April 4th. Different years. Well, thank you for not including Jamie Spears in that original ranking. But wow, can you imagine sharing your birthday with like Natasha Lyonne and Maya Angelou? The Davids. David Blaine, David Cross. No, I cannot. This is is like Rebecca Rubin was born to be a star. I hope that Rebecca Rubin gets to be a star, even if she doesn't. Knowing that Natasha Lyonne, whose miniseries inspired one of our birthday episodes way back in 2019 titles, Sweet Birthday Baby, it, we've come full circle. Wow. it's It does feel really powerful, really special, kind of like happy birthday baby energy 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to American Girls. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Wow, Allison, I'm still just like sitting with that list. That's such a crazy list of people who share your birthday. Like who, well, Rebecca's birthday, who shares your birthday? My birthday personally? Yeah, and do you feel a kinship with them? Yes, of course. So just to name a few, Larry Hagman, Ricky Lake, Stephen King. um, Those are some of my top birthday sharers. There was also a huge hurricane that began on my birthday in 1938. I feel a kinship with that as well. So yeah, I mean, we can't all share a birthday with like a certain wizard, but you know, we can have our own space and time. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, Allison, that's complicated for me, as you well know, because my birthday is July 31st. Yes, we are within, I'm going to say days, even though it's actually weeks, till we get to Leo season. No shade to cancers among us. This is your time. Respect. I do share a birthday with Harry Potter and she who will not be named on this podcast. And that's difficult because I every year I'm like, oh, my God, is she me? Am I her? Like... Who am I anyway? Am I my birthday? Like, what does it all mean? I don't know. If only there was like a great American poet like Maya Angelou to share our birthday, perhaps we would know. I don't know. Or Grumpy Cat. Wow. (laughs) Or Grumpy Cat. Both poets of a kind, you might say. I don't know. But wow, I'm jealous that you share a birthday with Ricky Lake. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I have actually always really loved my birthday sharers. And as a younger person, before I knew more about like personal identity, I used to carry a keychain with my birthday on it. But now I just share it with the world on this podcast. Putting it out there. But I mean, like Ricky Lake, she felt so dangerous like to watch that as a kid. I was not allowed to watch that, but my grandmother let us when she babysat us because she didn't understand. But I mean, she was like young. She seemed cool. She had a cool haircut for a period of time. 
for me, Ricky Lake is the only true star of the Hairspray franchise. I'm sorry, Zac Efron. That's right. But for me, she is the ultimate, along with Baby Cakes, Ricky Lake, which I feel like I have, like, sadly already discussed on this show, so I will not go into depth. But, you know, we're in summer, so we're not in the right season for Rebecca Rubin's birthday, but it feels like it's always the right time to talk about Rebecca at the movies and to talk about what we're in enjoying, which for me, I have not seen Top Gun. I have not participated in our top cinematic trends so far of the summer, but I have been reading a lot, which I feel like you have also. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I have not seen um, Top Gun 2, likely will not for some time. We recorded last time after or before the road decision came out, so in light of everything, I'm just not in a super, like, USA Top Gun 2 vibe. But some of the books I've been reading have been really entertaining, but also just, like, great, like, places to escape to. So, I mean, Allison, do you want to share a couple of books that you've been enjoying first? So, I love Emma Straub. She is an author whose books I really enjoy, and she's also a bookstore owner, which I think is really cool. Her book that just came out this summer, This Time Tomorrow, is a super delightful kind of interesting take on time travel, which I loved a lot. Um, I also really, really liked The Dead Romantics, which I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy, but the cover kind of sucked me in. Just like a really pleasant romance novel. If you like Emily Henry or those kinds of authors, and of course, um, I think I've talked about this one, but I love Jennifer Weiner, and she came out with another summer book. So The Summer Place is like a really cool perspective book. So those are like a few that I, I have really liked. I've been reading some like older, older era quotes thrillers but but what about you those are cool i've also gotten into reading some romance um books mostly queer ones but i was recommended a book called delilah green doesn't care and it's a really fun book the premise of which is like a woman who's a photographer in new york like gets hired by her stepsister who she assumes hates her to go back and be the photographer for her wedding. So she kind of like goes back to this hometown and then like, of course, like is sort of interested in one of her stepsister's friends who she actually also grew up with. So, but it's it's very funny and just very, it really holds your interest. Similarly, Queerly Beloved, Queerly Beloved is a really good one that Anna gave me that's about a baker who gets fired for being gay and then ends up like, um, well, I won't say, but it's very good. It might be kind of hard for anyone who's like, you know, just feeling scared in light of, you know, things going on and worrying about gay marriage. So I might stick with Delilah Green doesn't care. I also read Hello, Molly, the memoir by Molly Shannon, which I highly, highly recommend. It was so good. Um, Really didn't know much about her personal life or her story, but it really drew me in. And it's really funny and just very thoughtful. Like you can tell sometimes when you read celebrity memoirs, you're like, okay, this person did not write this book, period. But this one, I read it, and I really feel like she did, and she shared a lot of herself, and that's been really cool. I'm reading an unexpected book for me, Nothing But a Good Time, The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion, which, like, okay, is not my wheelhouse, but it is kind of fun. It's like an oral history of 80s rock. 
I also just finished reading a book called Portrait of a Thief, which is a thriller about art theft, but it's also about like colonialism and museum collecting. Oh, very so if that cool. speaks to you, that's very good. It's by Grace Dealey, who also wrote this book while she's in med school. It's like, ma'am, do less, like <laughs> making me feel things. And then just lastly, because we were talking about Russian Doll, which by the way, Allison, I just saw for the first time just a month ago, never watched it when it was really popular. I don't know why, but um, I'm reading right now Sloane Crossley's um, cult classic, which has been described as a kind of Russian doll kind of novel. So I'll keep you posted. I'm not I'm not that deep into it, so I don't really want to say too much, but I'm liking it a lot so far. I like the writing. Uh, speaking of writing, I liked, uh, did you enjoy Rebecca and the movies? I think I said Rebecca I at did. the movies, it's and. <laughs> yes. I mean, I felt like I was back at my parents' house flipping on Turner classic movies on a sick day. Like, I loved this. Like, this book was just like a warm, cozy, crazy adventure. Do you think Max would take me to work? I think he would. I think he should. (laughs) I think you would perform well. Okay. I don't want to be in a movie, but the more I get to know Max, the more I'm like, okay, so clearly he and Lily are going to get together. Don't worry, we'll explain who they are further in. (laughs) But I was like, maybe Max will like do a magic trick and I'll pop up at his place of work or that's my magic trick. I'm not sure. Oh my God. Wow. Is it a trick or is it an illusion, Allison? Uh, David Cross also has a birthday (laughs) with Rebecca Rubin. He famously on Arrested Development explains the difference. Actually, no, that's George Oscar Bluth III. That is his brother-in-law, but close enough. Close enough. We'll take it. Are you ready to dive into this book? Yeah, I've never been more ready. Um, Let's do it. Curtain down. So this book is set in 1915. We're going ahead a little bit more, but it is set around Rebecca's birthday, despite not exactly being a birthday book. We see you, Jackie. Rebecca can hardly believe it when Cousin Max invites her to visit his movie studio! Exclamation point. Although her parents don't approve of actors or movies, Mama relents and says she may go. At the studio, Rebecca meets the glamorous Lily, a real movie star. When the camera begins to roll, Rebecca knows she must sit quietly and watch. Suddenly, the director shouts, cut, and Rebecca finds herself facing an opportunity she never imagined in her wildest dreams. Does she have the nerve for it? And what would her parents say if they knew? First of all, this is in her wildest dreams. Like, I think that summary doesn't do justice to her imagination. Like, she probably has imagined this moment or something like it. Yeah. So this book is both a birthday book and not a birthday book. And I think that this author also said, like, I will give you a birthday. I will give you a Passover lesson and I will give you a crash course in early film and you will be dazzled by all of it. I think that's true. I think that's, I mean, there is so much going on in this book that she's working in that really like my hat's off to her because she kind of does her own magic trick with this book. I mean, like we're learning about Passover. We're learning about early film production. Like we're learning a lot here. We also, I mean, like great use of hats off because Rebecca Rubin is given a beautiful hat as part of her birthday. And something that I like about this book is the way that it deals with when you're a child, even like 
the anticipation of disappointment. Like, Rebecca is concerned that her birthday is going to get kind of, um, like, skipped because of Passover, right? She's concerned that people are not going to pay enough attention to her. And she's like, I know that this is a thousands-year-old tradition, but my birthday happens during it. And I love the way that the author uses like that birthday angst which is like completely par for the course at any age of life to explain Passover traditions. I thought that was like a really smart way to teach readers who may not know like okay Rebecca's concerned the cake is not going to be what she hopes for. That's a way to talk about food traditions. That was so smart. Yeah super smart and I also like that we kind of have this kind of nice friendship narrative in the beginning of the book where Rose is taking her to just look at the posters of the movies that they're not allowed to go see as of yet. Like we know that Max brought them to see a Charlie Chaplin movie from a previous book, but um, her parents have also said she can't just go to the movies like the twins do iconically. Let's not forget the twins are (laughs) defined by being 14. Um, Love that for them still. And I really love, there's a beautiful illustration of them looking at the movie poster for Cleopatra starring Lillian Armstrong. Some great foreshadowing because we're going to meet her. But, you know, you just get this sense of like desire. And I think that it's really interesting to read this book during COVID still because I can remember as like a kid when you'd see a movie poster at the theater and be like, oh my God, I can't possibly wait to see this movie So it kind of is a nice access point for kids or like anyone who's been to the movies, but also reading it now, I'm like, wow, I can't remember the last time I saw like a movie at a movie theater. So I was kind of having that same desire of Rebecca of like, I have been to the movies and she has only seen one, but like, wow, I really wish I could go to the movies, but also because of health things and whatever, I'm not comfortable doing that as of yet. They also do a good job of introducing, like, we meet Rose and Rebecca at the onset of this book listening to music through a phonograph, right? So it's like they're getting their audio content in one place, not unlike podcast listeners, and then they are getting their visual content somewhere else. And what's interesting kind of from our perspective is like the way that they're getting this for free, right? Like we kind of have this narrative of like, oh, people always had to pay for this content that they actually cared about. No, like Rebecca and her friend are out. They're getting pleasure, as you're saying, just from looking at the movie posters and movies are a fully visual medium to them. They're listening to music, right? They're kind of having this other like oral experience. And I love the way that Rebecca is kind of like, dropping in what will become like iconic film knowledge by suggesting that there be a film about Moses. See Moses lead his people to freedom. And it's like, that's going to happen. And I I wish Rebecca was the director. I think we all do. I mean, have you ever seen Charleston Heston as Moses? I have. Um, I wish I had seen Lillian Armstrong as Cleopatra, because that sounds kind of exciting. Uh, Having taken some classes where I had to watch older films in college, like Birth of a Nation, I have seen films from this period. I do find them really difficult to watch, which is kind of strange because I'm obsessed with captions. And so you would think I would be down with silent film. I like the confluence of caption and audio, not the absence of audio. Like, I I need both to fully enjoy my experience. 
I hear that. I also think it's weird because it's like we have probably never seen a silent film as it was meant to be enjoyed with like a pianist in the room, like accompanying the film. So you have the captions and the music live in that space. And so I think that's a big part of it. I mean, Charlton Heston as Moses is just like bad news to me. Like that was always on on Holy Saturday when I was growing up on like ABC or something. And we would try to watch it just because we would be allowed to stay up late for that purpose. And it was like too much for me. It's like he needs to do less as Moses. Like it's not it's not the Moses I need. I would love to see Lillian Armstrong's depiction of Moses. Like why not? Unlike an epic film of that era, the pacing of this book is really good and really fun. Like they have this conversation about how that kind of film should get made and their fascination with Cleopatra and then Honestly, not unlike me, they walk by an open window with pastries and cakes and Rebecca is like on to the next topic. She's like, you know what this all makes me think about? My birthday. I mean, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the the opening scene like takes in, as you're saying, like all these different kinds of desire, like for music, for food, for movies you want to watch, for experiences perhaps above your age bracket. If you're Rebecca's parents saying you can't go to the movies until you're 10 question mark. Like, that seems like sort of an arbitrary age number, but then again, like, PG-13 also never made sense to me. No, and Rebecca has this kind of, like, tinge in the back. Like, she's she's concerned. She says, you'd think that even at Passover, it would be okay to have birthday cake. I mean, Moses led the Jews out of Egypt thousands of years ago. So, I did read criticisms of this book that some people thought that the way that like certain kinds of information were introduced to the reader like made it clear that this was predominantly for a not Jewish audience, right? Like that this is like, I think I read it was like external explanation, right? Like explaining to people Mm -hmm. outside of the culture what it's supposed to do. Um, I do think in a lot of ways like that is both absolutely true and this entire scene is just so American girl. It just reminds me of so many of the other birthday books where a girl and a friend or a girl and someone else in a family are having this just like absolute like exposition bonanza where they're like, but mom, how have we always celebrated my birthday? And then they, you know, proceed to explain. So I do think that that's obviously an important criticism, but I like the the 10-year-old piece of her saying like, but what does this have to do with me? And then even her friend saying like, honestly, this is kind of important. Like, you're missing it. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that criticism is well taken. But I also think that even within faith traditions, there's this kind of like subtle, like a freight train didactic teaching that goes on to just kind of like keep reaffirming like certain core narratives or values. Like growing up in the church I went to, they did a very similar thing about Christmas and the story of Christmas, even though everyone there was practicing and like presumably knew the story. So I can kind of see it both ways, but to your point, it does really feel like a birthday book vibe. We also learned that part of why Rose is kind of dragging out this like free hangout. She's like, let's do hopscotch. Let's do all these other things is that Rose is aware that the family has planned this surprise party for her, which like actually really does excite Rebecca. And this is where I think the book like really lands in a beautiful place is the family explaining to her like how they've chosen to celebrate her birthday 
in a way that's different than she expected and in line with their values while still kind of like giving her something she really wants. And we learn that her mother has chosen to make her cake in a way where she's used 12 eggs to kind of keep it nice and uh, like fluffy for her. And if you recall, that's actually like one of the first things that we learned in the Rebecca books, which is that they were very careful with their baking to like meter out the number of eggs that they use. So I was like, oh, wow, you know, book four, we're coming back to that. And we can really appreciate like how special that would be to her. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, 12 eggs for this cake, that's insane. A lot but of also eggs. like, it's a lot of eggs, but what a beautiful tribute. And I also feel like this is kind of picking up or it's paying off on work that she did in books one through three about Rebecca's kind of perception of herself within the family as someone who doesn't get the attention they deserve or like doesn't get to kind of have the responsibility or like kind of seems unsure of their place in the family where it was like, you know, we've been on the journey with her about wanting to light the candles on the Sabbath, about wanting to kind of have her cousin as a kind of surrogate twin sister because she doesn't have that kind of like peer within her family and just kind of situating herself and this is a really nice payoff to kind of see like wow people really do see you in this family and they've kind of created something that speaks directly to what you probably would want to celebrate your birthday and then she gets even more than she could have possibly expected. Yeah, and Max is, like, always here for a performance. Like, we also learned that book one that Max is, like, I will do something for you that is also a way for you to see more about me. And Max is, like, very thrilled. What I kind of also read into, like, the scene where Max does the bit of magic and they're talking about, like, the cool syrupy soda they're going to have. Um, There's a moment where the mother says, um, you've been around theater people too long, right? And she's kind of trying to put Max in a place, right? And something I really loved about this scene is when there's an older adult in your life that you really admire and you think, wow, like there could be nothing cooler than stepping into their shoes for a day. Max not only gives her that gift, but I think what I see as an adult is sometimes you need that adult person in your life who like shows a life that's different from your parents and your grandparents and your siblings. And he's constantly pushing that envelope, I think in part on some level because he knows that it pleases Rebecca and it's kind of like setting this stage, right? Like if she does want to do something different with her life, he's been doing this in front of the family for years and it's kind of like making a place for that and you can tell no one else is able or kind of interested in doing that for Rebecca. Yeah I think it is a really it's a special gift and a kind of like bridge he's building for her to kind of see this path this alternative path and how he's made a home for himself in this industry and and it's you know with everything it's so much easier to imagine yourself doing something if you can see somebody that you know having done it or in the process of doing it And I think like in some ways that's the spirit behind take your daughter to work day or whatever it's (laughs) called now. But I'm remembering that like growing up. Did you ever participate in that? So it wasn't a day so much as uh, in the case of my dad, we would just sometimes have to like wait in the car while he was working extra hours. Got it. Which is not a complaint, but it was not, (laughs) his job was not such. We would be at sites investigating gas leaks. There was not really like a casual place for a 10 year old such as myself, like, you know, putting down meat felicity, like, hey, Allison, come put on a hard hat. 
but we did spend time at my dad's place of work. And my mom was a critical care nurse. So if we were there, like, we should not be there. That would have been sort of a danger zone situation. We would dutifully bring my mother an iced coffee around 11 a.m. almost every Saturday when I was a kid when she switched to day shifts and we would leave it at the nurse's desk and just like go in and out. So, I, I mean, that I guess that nice. counts. It was like take your iced coffee to Saturday. <laughs> to mom day. To mom day. That's um, very nice. I only did it once and it was unofficial and I think it was because I didn't want to go to school. So I basically was like, dad, there's this thing called take your daughter to work day. And like, how come I never get to participate in that? And today should be my day to do that. And nobody really questioned it. No. And I brought myself there when I was like 10 years old. And he at the time at these, my dad was a, was a lawyer until recently and he retired. Um, but he had these two very old senior partners who were kind of scary. And they literally were like, hi, nice to meet you. Tap me on the head. And then <laughs> brought him behind like literally just like a half closed door and started swearing a blue streak about something they thought was wrong with a case like that they were kind of just venting to him about being mad at like a judge or something and I like had not heard a lot of those words before so that's what I took away from take your daughter to work day yeah I don't I don't think I had as cool of an experience as Rebecca Rubin who gets to go with Max like who could oh my god like to be fair, like, I think what's kind of fascinating, uh, the the phrase that comes up over and over in the reviews of this book that I found online was wish fulfillment, right? Like, this whole book is yeah. wish fulfillment. She wishes for a cool alternative cake. She gets one. She's having a great time with her friends. She goes out with Max. I don't think anything would be worse for me then thinking I'm just going to watch Max work and then being thrust into a silent film. Like, nothing could be worse for me personally. Um, and having yeah. to share my lunch at break, that's also no, a no you. for me. So that's like a really kind thing that she does. And I, and again, I think a really shrewd, shrewdly written scene. Uh, but, you know, unlike Natasha Leone or Heath Ledger, or I hate to say this, even Jamie Lynn Spears, who's put on the performance of a lifetime in her uh, recent yeah. book. Um, unlike any of those people, like I think Rebecca is fascinated by theater. And when she's kind of called and given that opportunity, she slides right into it. That would not be me. I, I would be like, no, I was good over here. Did you ever have to perform in a kind of theatrical situation in school? Uh, yes. So I did. And then I made the pivot to be, I filmed our morning announcements because I so desperately wanted to be sure that I was never on any kind of thing again, that I took the lead and I was like, game, I will be one of only two camera people. And I became a camera person. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. So I okay. made sure, I made sure. No, I was in a play in eighth grade. It was horrible. I didn't want anyone to come. I still have the card my sister gave me. I. It was not a strength. It's not of interest. I, what was the play? It was terrible. I don't know. It was like a play written for middle schoolers. I also had to do a okay. bit of Shakespeare. Did Whoa. not enjoy it. I did a monologue from Richard III. I'm not built for any of this. Oh my God. It's not of interest to Oh my God. Honestly, like, this brought me to a place of better you than me, Rebecca, and 
thankfully brought me to this amazing uh, article by the Jewish Women's Archive about sort of like early cinema and different roles that women had because I wanted to see like, okay, if Rebecca grows up, like if Max can't take her to work every day, right? Right. So the Jewish Women's Archive has this amazing encyclopedia entry about like very early women who got involved in film as writers. And so that kind of gave me some hope, right? Like gave me some greater context for this. But no, like they keep calling her kid lit and just none of this would be for me. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I have very limited, thank God, theater experience. So I think for both of us, this was sort of like an imagined moment of terror. Like... I never, you know, when you're at a baseball game too, and they like pull people out and they're like, do you want to do like a goofy game to potentially win a t-shirt? Absolutely not. Do not come over here. I, my first time and hopefully only time on camera, I had to dress like a pilgrim at a Catholic mass on TV. No. And by pilgrim, I mean, they put a construction piece of construction paper around my head as a bonnet. It was, it was unhinged in hindsight. I don't know what people were thinking, but I volunteered to do this because I knew we were going to McDonald's after mass, so I really wanted to go to McDonald's on school time. But anyway, I mean, you know I've been in some plays. It hasn't worked out. I was in a plain Spanish, didn't know Spanish, yada, yada, yada. But I also had cousins who loved being in, like, youth theater programs. Like, I saw many productions of Bye Bye Birdie. I'm not sure why they all were doing that the same year. But And then I just, again, was going along for the food element. Like, we went to Bennigan's, RAP, after that. But... You know, uh, so I'm imagining, like, what if a theater kid was reading this book? What if it's not us reading this book? And it's like, that's a different kind of wish fulfillment. Because, like, isn't that every theater kid's dream that, like, you're going to wander onto the set of a movie and they're going to be like, hey, like, would you want to be in this? Like, we are going to call you Kidlet and the lead's going to keep calling you Doll Baby and you might feel uncomfortable, but you down? So the thing that I liked about this book, and I will say, like, I absolutely, totally loved, loved reading this book. It would not be wish fulfillment for me. It would not be something that I would be interested in. I think one of the most interesting aspects of this book to me is her seeing through really good writing, right, all the different power dynamics on set, the way that different people are in charge of other people, the way that some folks defer to each other. I did feel as though when we met the stunt dummy Harry, that was foreshadowing that we were going to meet Harry Houdini in book five. I can't confirm that, but I've Whoa. decided that that's canon. And okay, with this, you. <laughs> this Jewish Women's Archive entry um, also made a connection that I didn't know. Um, so Anza um, Izerska, who wrote one of my favorite books about this period, um, Bread Givers, also was a writer for like very early Hollywood, which was cool. I didn't know that. Um, some of her early books, such as Hungry Hearts and Salome of the Tenements, would end up being an early film. And I think that's kind of an unexpected connection for me because I didn't know that even that early on, people were kind of making that leap from writing very popular novels to being in this world. And I kind of want to believe that like she and Max maybe have a brief flirtation, but I'm, I'm not sure. Hey everyone, it's Mary and I'm here to talk to you about HelloFresh, one of our favorite sponsors. Now look, it's summertime, there's nothing I can think of wanting to do less than go to the grocery store. That's just where I'm at. And I mean, I don't want to get too much into my personal biz, 
But my wife, like for some reason, she's one of these people who loves to go to the grocery store. Like she absolutely loves it, loves kind of like seeing new products, like poking around. I don't know why, but this is like my personal nightmare. So HelloFresh has really come to the rescue in terms of our household because it presents something we both can enjoy. My wife can poke through these recipes. She can kind of like get into what's in the spice mixes, you know, trying out different options and they have really amazing seasonal options, especially this summer. And I get to enjoy it because I don't have to go to the grocery store and that's a win for truly everyone. In the last round of HelloFresh, I literally pulled out my recipe cards, which they give you these amazing recipe cards so you can kind of like keep and repeat some of these recipes. We got the vegetarian option and we got three meals that genuinely were like 10 out of 10 and we've remade them and they're really good. We got Middle Eastern chickpea bowls, highly recommend. Let's see, one pan, trattoria, tortellini bake, chef's kiss, beautiful. And black bean and blue corn crunch burritos, also excellent. So I can highly recommend all of those. If you're a meat eater, I recommend, you know, all the burger options. And it is grilling season. If that's your lifestyle, I attempt to make it my lifestyle. Like King of the Hill, I attempt to do a charcoal grill, you know, with mixed results. I'll be candid. But it is that time of year. It's a way to kind of save yourself from spending a ton of money at the grocery store or eating out. It's fun family time. My wife and I genuinely love making these together. And like I said, these are things that I've repeated having. They're really genuinely good. So if this sounds good to you, go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirl16 and use code AmericanGirl16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirl16 and use code AmericanGirl16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. We go like, this is like planes, trains, automobiles getting to this studio. Like we start out in New York. She takes a subway, never been on a subway before. Then we're on the ferry and we see the Statue of Liberty. And this is when there's one of the few like subtle, like a freight train, the author like intervening to be like Jewish history when she's (laughs) like, Emilat, I heard a Jewish poet wrote the poem on the Statue of Liberty. And it's like, yes, Emma Lazarus, like, thank you. And then we're on a, like, basically bus to get to the studio. And Max gives her a great tour. And then, she like, imagine you see, like, Sandra Bullock in a movie poster. And then, like, a day later, you're like, oh, my God, Sandra Bullock's inviting me to her dressing room to, like, hang out with her while she gets ready to shoot. It's like, I can't, I don't know how I would react in that moment. I I like that, you know, Rebecca has this momentary pause where she's not sure what she should really say about her background. She decides, you know, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to be totally honest here. I also like her openness to kind of saying, like, she doesn't understand exactly what's happening with everything. She sort of finds, like, the heavy makeup to be sort of funny. I do think like we live in a culture where there's this assumption that everyone is waiting for that one day where they have their big break on television. And like, I'm here to tell you, like, that's not me. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, yeah, I I think it's like, is everyone in a place of quiet desperation to be famous? Like, I don't really think that that's actually everyone's dream. No, and there's a really kind of There's a turn of phrase that I didn't like in the back of this book that I think also serves as important context for part of what's going on. 
there is a phrasing in the back where um, the peek into the past authors are trying to explain why there are like a, a decent sized number of Jewish producers and Jewish people involved in early film, like relative to the population of the country. And there's this phrasing that they're sort of, quote, hungry for opportunity. And I think what that's, and then this kind of further explanation that certain kinds of entrepreneurs were willing to take risks that others weren't. And I felt that was kind of jarring because what I liked about this actual book and its exposition and the way that it comes out is the way that actually Rebecca only gradually starts to see or understand like who else shares her faith, right? And that really only comes out at lunch. There's like all these moments where like the thing everyone has in common ostensibly is acting or like putting on the heavy makeup or their skill or their craft. And it's not until lunch when Passover and different restrictions come up that they actually have any kind of conversation about Rebecca, Lily, and Max all being Jewish. And I thought that was kind of like a huge divergence between like that that total like almost lack of nuance in the back of the book and then the way that we actually experience it with Rebecca, which is this is something that's like understood by people, but it's not kind of open, right? Like this isn't something that they're discussing until it absolutely comes up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think that this scene does something very subtle but powerful, which she also has done in different books in this series, which is sort of like acknowledging different ways of being Jewish or like different degrees of Jewishness. Like when they're going through the lunch line, Rebecca is feeling a sense of not panic, but she's sort of like self-conscious because she brought her lunch because it's Passover and she didn't. her parents were like, they're not going to have any food that you can eat. And when she sits down to share her lunch, which is so generous, like she sees Lillian Armstrong, like her like favorite actress is also Jewish, like is like, you know, observing Passover as is the director, as are a bunch of other people in the room. But Max was going to go through the line and just take what was on offer. So he wasn't seemingly as concerned about necessarily like keeping kosher for Passover or he was, you know, now I'm not saying he would have been open to pass, but like maybe that was something he had to do in other productions that, you know, this wasn't an opportunity. Like, I'm not sure, but I kind of liked that she kind of gave us that moment where she describes him seeming embarrassed when Rebecca's like, well, why are you eating that? Mm. Like there's dumplings on that soup. Like you can't have like basically like you can't eat that. And, you know, he's kind of sheepish and is like, oh, right. But, you know, I don't know if you have enough food to share. And she's like, yeah, totally. And, you know, in that way, like kind of then points to him being able to flirt with Lillian, which is like another whole story. But it's kind of interesting as a moment there that you she kind of allows for like different degrees of observance, I guess. There's also there's something that comes out again and again, which is at the birthday party at Rebecca's house. There's a conversation about whether the women will be sort of appropriate for Rebecca to be around. And it's interesting the way that like Max immediately like defends his colleagues. And then we have this kind of like internalized idea pop out in a different way. Lily, Max, and uh, Rebecca are all sitting around the table, and Lily talks about, you know, how she's made the food that she brought for that day. At Passover, I pull out all my mother's recipes. She might not like my job, but she can't criticize my cooking. 
Rebecca expected Max to offer a joking response, but instead silence fell over the table. I think this is actually really awkward for Max, and I I like the way that that is kind of drawn out because we see him feel very comfortable pushing boundaries with his family, but then when he feels like boundaries are being pushed a different way in front of his family, that is really awkward, right? Like, he's supposed to be in his element, and now people are kind of talking about things in in a way that doesn't make him feel comfortable. And I appreciate that then on the next page, you know, there's dancing and Max kind of pulls it back to like what they both love, which is the acting. But such a like really cool scene, the way that that all unfolds, just with like people gradually pulling things out of their lunch. Um, How does it compare for me to the way that I learned about this on Rugrats? It doesn't. (laughs) But that was another, like, important cultural touchstone, and I do think that this is, like, more subtle because it doesn't have Tommy Pickles, like, doing a miracle. That's true, although he is a better Moses than Charlton Heston, so I will give him that. But I also like that scene a lot because I think what's happening in that scene as well is, like, she is seeing her uncle for the first time be vulnerable. Mm. Like, he's not the clown. He's not performing being the person that maybe his family members expect him to be in kind of, like, family's private spaces. Like, Lillian actually shares something that's very comparable to his own experience, which is that, you know, she loves acting and her mother doesn't understand it. And they connect over this cultural piece of her being able to cook the food that her her mother's recipes that she does recognize and respect. And then it's like we've already seen Max come into their family space for Rebecca's birthday party. And we've seen him in multiple situations now where he kind of acts like a clown with the family. So for him to kind of be silent and be very vulnerable with her. I think Rebecca is actually, it's a beautiful scene where sometimes children can pick up on things that adults aren't acknowledging to one another, or like they can just notice things happening in their space. And I really liked that the author led us into Rebecca's internal life so that we could kind of witness that with her. We also have Lily pointing out like, oh, Max, like, didn't anyone kind of like make you food for the day, right? Which I think also points to the fact that he's living this sort of bachelor life, right? And that there are different people in his family commenting on like his relative rootlessness, right? The fact that like Rebecca, obviously she's 10, has someone kind of doing this work for her. The fact that Lily does this work for herself because she feels like it's an important connection and like tie to her mother. Um, I also felt like, again, there's so many funny moments in this book where it's like there's a light touch and a heavy touch. This all gets set off by someone pulling out a ham sandwich. I mean, it all jumps off with the ham sandwich and the Irish immigrant who pulls it out of his bag, (laughs) of course. And I think that allows Rebecca to just like kind of immediately come out the gate and start the conversation. Whereas I think if it was something a little bit more nuanced, right, like we may have had a different feeling about it. But, you know, the fact that Max's face turns red, right, he feels kind of uncomfortable with all of this. To me, part of what it's making clear is that there are people at different levels of the production who are Jewish, and yet the back of the book kind of leads you to believe, I think something that unfortunately is like a trope about, you know, or involved in anti-Semitic ideas about Hollywood or theater, sort of like this kind of like predominance or this prevalence. And it's like, this is clearly not the prevalent culture on set because someone is like whipping out a ham sandwich. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on with that. I mean, first, just to say, I think that there's a story within the story, which is like, 
there's this kind of um, story being laid out about being openly Jewish at work in the film industry and kind of like Rebecca waking up to what is the possibility that she could do this professionally herself. So there's like the religious cultural expectation for her that she's sort of mapping into the room or kind of clarifying like, oh, there's multiple people here who are like me in that regard. But then also kind of like what that life would look like, her family's expectations. I also think there's something going on with she, like Max is into Lillian and Lillian yeah. is like so when Lillian says to him like don't you have someone to make lunch for you at home she's kind of doing that classic thing that's like oh like is that something your girlfriend likes to do yeah. and, and then you expect Max to be like well actually I don't have a girlfriend she's like oh interesting <laughs> interesting like I, re I respected that move I saw what she was doing and I respected it so it's kind of like and that's above maybe Rebecca's you know understanding or she's not really like she's focused on the thing that she relates most to her which is like could she be an actress someday could her family allow it but I do love that there's like this love triangle and like never forget Don Herringbone like craziest potential I hope that's his <laughs> stage name but like who I thought was her boyfriend but I guess not because I mean she seems very into Max I'm just gonna say that no, and it all comes out at lunch. And I will say this, a review that I read of this book by Erin, which was uh, written this year, she she talks about this being an unnecessarily detailed depiction of a 1914 movie studio. And I did feel like compared to other American Girl books, just period, we like really drilled down into people's jobs in this book. And I think really got a sharp appreciation for like, what is the carpenter doing? What is the makeup artist doing? What is Mabel doing making costumes? And mm -hmm. I loved it because I think it was a non like offensive way to introduce a lot of different groups that would actually be working together on a film set. And I felt like, no, we didn't need to hear that much about like certain aspects like the glass plates or the negatives. At the same time, I felt like it was a way to bring in people of actual different backgrounds who would have these jobs without them just kind of being a random like one line character, right? I, I like I actually right. think that that worked for me. Um, it was kind of a funny American classic girl book where it's like, you think that we're going to be like deep in the Passover birthday and we're not. We're giving you Emma Lazarus. We're taking you like right to Mary Pickford. You're never going to see it coming. Yeah. And the Mary Pickford of it all is really fascinating to me because in the peak into the past, they kind of throw you two names for actual silent film stars, Mary Pickford and Theta Barra. Barra. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. However, so I kind of think that um, Lillian Armstrong, we're meant to understand, is a kind of Mary Pickford type. Like Agreed. blonde, she has a bob. Mary Pickford, iconically, like her career kind of tanked when she bobbed her hair after her mom died in the late 20s, whatever. But I think we're supposed to understand that she's a Mary Pickford type um, who could play like the daughter who might get you know, run off with the gardener, like her parents don't understand, whatever. That Obara was like described in something I read as, quote, the Lady Gaga of her day. Oh. And what's fascinating is like she actually comes from Jewish ancestry and she has a really interesting career where basically she only made silent films. And then when her career ran, when her contract ran out, she basically was like, I've had enough of this. And she like kind of teased a comeback at one point in the 30s and I was like, yeah, never mind. But 
she was known for plan- for like before the morality codes came in, her costumes were like unhinged. And I will send you a picture I found of her as Cleopatra. And what's really interesting is she is the one who actually starred as Cleopatra, hmm. not Mary Pickford. But I'm wondering if the author made a calculation because Theta was known as like, again, the Lady Gaga of her time. If she was like, look, I'm not going to deal with a person for whom we only have images of her wearing the equivalent of like a meat dress. Like her Cleopatra dress is like, is barely there to say the least. But that's really all we have of her as well because all of her films were mostly destroyed in an MGM archive fire in the 30s. So, but it's kind of interesting where I'm like, well, she was actually Jewish. So why not have the Lillian Armstrong character be based on this kind of like, you know, yeah, we don't have film evidence of her, but she her career seems really interesting of the kind of roles that she sought out and played. And why introduce Cleopatra if then you're going to base the character on Mary Pickford? Yeah, I think there's also this internal tension going back and forth between whether people living at this time in general considered movie acting to be like wholesome, acceptable. And I mean, I think that that divergence of opinion exists now. On page 75 of The Peak into the Past, we learn, by the time Rebecca would have been a young woman, movie acting was considered a respectable way to make a living. And to that, I say, okay, like, were you at the birthday scene? Were you with us in book one? Like, there are people who are struggling with this, like, as a means to make money. I think in much the same way, like, too many people, right, having an OnlyFans account, creating content, doing sex work on the internet is considered a viable income stream and, what do they say, Um, you know, a way to, a respectable way to make a living. Not everyone agrees, right? Like, I think that's such, like, a weird generalization to come on the tail end of a book where people, even Lillian, is expressing, like, hey, this is something that my family struggles with, right? Like, she's also kind of cluing Rebecca in on that. So, it's sort of odd that it's saying, like, well, everyone thought this was fine, but then also also talking about Theta Bara as being called the vamp. I mean, that suggests that there's cultural baggage there that's not really fully been explored. Yeah, that was my beef, not to keep with the Lady Gaga references, but just to make her feel safe. Um, That's my beef with the peek into the past of this book, is that they keep talking about respectability politics in a way that keeps enforcing that that kind of thing matters or actually something you should care about. Like, I understand it being in the book because in this period, it really did matter. Like, I imagine it was very difficult for someone like Lily Armstrong to kind of get her mom to wrap her head around being an actress on this new medium, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, to put it into peek into the past and be like, don't worry, like it became respectable. It's like, so what? Like, I mean, if you're a girl reading this book, if it's not harming anyone and it's a form of artistic self-expression, like, why are we like... (laughs) clinging to this respectability pot like who cares like I don't know that just that just like I bumped against that that annoyed me it's just it's too much we also learn on the next page they're like and don't worry about it child labor we know it's being legislated outside of this book don't even worry about it it's gonna be over don't worry little Helen Bagley started out acting in movies as a baby and by 1914 she was a big star at only five years old Uh, Two years later, she had to drop out because she had lost two front teeth and had to wait for new ones to come in. It's like, 
if you oh have teeth coming in and that's affecting your family's income stream, that's a time to just ask some questions. Like, it's a very bizarre and uncritical take yes. on child labor in the film industry, um, especially when Drew Barrymore is invoked in this same book. And oh it's God. like, do you, do you, like, I don't, do you Literally know? cannot. First of all, Drew Barrymore should be protected at all costs. I believe she's a national treasure. I don't know if her makeup is fake. I don't care. I think she's doing great work. I think we all feel that maybe in our hearts. I'm not sure. But I think it's very strange that that's the person they focused on as like child actor and labor issue when they easily could have focused on, I forget this person's name right now off the top of my head, but there was a law founded because a girl lost all the money that she made in films because her parents spent it all Mm. and she wasn't old enough to have a bank account. So there's like a law that says a certain percentage has to be held in trust so that your parents can't blow all your cash. And I hate to bring up friend of the show, Shirley Temple Black, RIP, never forget our Watergate episode on Patreon, but... You know, she lost all of her money as well. Her parents spent all her money. So she didn't really get to live large as an adult because of a similar labor issue and also was exploited big time and, you know, like actively was dressed beneath her age at a certain point because they they knew she was more bankable the younger she looked, which is also like creepy. But it's like, so there's so many stories I could have told with better known people and they just were like yeah we're gonna go with the two front teeth that feels like you know something that's not gonna upset anybody so this year has been kind of a garbage fire so far and i know that all of us are looking for ways of dealing with that and just kind of you know dealing with life in general so you've probably heard about microdosing if not just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Now, I think I told you on our last ad that I gave these to my friend, and this friend was basically, she's a connoisseur of Microdose Gummies, so she had never tried this brand before. And she took these on and was like, I'm going to give you real talk. So she took some of them before we watched the new Amazon dating show about confronting your past, which, you know, like dating people from your past, which itself feels like a traumatic proposition. But she got in touch and basically was like, I I felt amazing after having these gummies, like they chilled me out and then she had a great night's sleep. So... I can firmly recommend these because I know a real living human being who really enjoyed them and still is using them and loves it. So if this sounds like something that you might be interested in, I don't know if I can recommend the Amazon show. It is insane. Like the level of drama is off the charts and having Betty who host has been a true wildcard experience. But something that's not a wild card is having microdose gummies. My friend firmly recommends them and so do I. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code AmericanGirlsPod to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code AmericanGirlsPod. I feel like the author of these books, our friend Jackie, as I sometimes refer to her, wants Rebecca to grow up to be a socialist. And so that's why we learned that Rebecca does get compensated in a way because the props master makes sure that she goes home with a phonograph. Like Rebecca should have been cut a check or given money no matter what. 
I will also say like something that this peek into the past did bring up for me and I started looking up some statistics in the next four years, the life expectancy is going to plummet by several years for Rebecca's generation, right? For people that she's living with, it's going to go from the mid to late 50s down to the 40s, right? Because of the pandemic and, and war. But I was also looking into the fact that Rebecca is living in an extraordinarily young time and place, right? You can look at bar graphs of the Lower East Side in this time period, and she's living in just such a young, young world. So to kind of talk about like kids being in movies and or Rebecca like basically doing like a freebie day of like, basically they were like, we're paying you an exposure. She's like, great. She's like, cool, thank you. I love when they're <laughs> watching the dailies and she's like, oh my God, Uncle Max, like at least my name will be on the screen one time. And he was like, no, <laughs> like, hate to break it to you, kid lit or whatever the heck they're calling her in this book. But, you know, he was like, my name just got on the credits for this movie. So like I'm one of the leads. I feel like she also was kind of her own manager where she was asking the hard questions. She was. she was like, are my names going to be, is my name going to be in the credits? What I mean, she didn't. We didn't hear her ask her compensation, but she also was not afraid as a manager to put her client herself <laughs> out there. When oh, Max, my favorite part of the book is when she's thrown in that kind of holding pattern where he's like, "You got to be really quiet. We're about to start shooting," and the director gets mad if people make noise, and she's like, "No problem." He sits her amongst all these extras who are just hanging around, including a woman who tragically is like, I could dress as a child if you need that. Like, I could present <laughs> yes. as child. Yes. And you're like, oh, my God, this is bleak. And so then the director, he's like, yeah, we need a kidlet in this scene. And the girl, but that woman's like, I can do it. Like, I can be a kid. It's cool. And you're like, oh, my God, this is dark. And then in a moment where there, she's like, literally, these extras have already come at her and they're like, are you here to replace us? Are you competition? Are you a scene stealer? And she's like, who, me? It's my birthday. I'm just here with my uncle, like, you know, ho-hum. Immediately, we're in her internal monologue and she's like, I gotta say something. <laughs> she's like, yes, me. It was like a Tracy Flick moment. I was like, oh my God, this is intense. But I mean, she does actually, I actually like that she's so like, not afraid to put herself out there. But when she gets the phonograph, I would have been like, are you serious? I would have been like, I want to check and the phonograph <laughs> right. and I want some I want some records. Thank you. I want whatever you are able to give me. Um, I do also feel like this discussion of phonograph, I wanted like, dear listeners, I'm sparing you from this. I wanted because this is an audio medium. I wanted to find like an app that would make it sound like we were talking through phonograph. That does not appear to exist because it sounds terrible, so we are sparing you from that. If you do want to have kind of like a scary time to yourself as a bit of a warning, Thomas Edison, who created obviously a lot of the technology that allows us to make this podcast even today, you can find recordings, and it's some of the earliest recordings of women's voices, period, of the actual audio that went into early talking dolls. And so if you already have trouble sleeping, I would say like, don't pursue this content, but if it is something that you you feel like, I don't know, might make you like a little bit more alert, a little bit more afraid. It's there. Yeah. And we'll play some of it. I will say this about 1914, 1915. 
if I had been there and I had the five to 10 cents required, I would have loved to see Upton Sinclair's The Jungle in theaters because that is a very important book to me. And I am very jealous that Rebecca Rubin was alive in the times. I mean, yeah, that would have been really (laughs) powerful. I imagine... I mean, I'm sure you're not buying, like, a hot dog in the lobby at that, but, I mean, perhaps. You know, with everything that is going on in this country and conversations that we're having across our platforms with people about patriotism and and different forms of dissent this month, like, what better time to even question the hot dog? I will question it, and I will readily admit, like, it's probably a bad idea, but will I eat one? Absolutely. Like, no questions asked. And I know that that's probably wrong, but it's just where I'm at. Like, I'm in a place now where it's like, whatever self-care I need at these times, as I'm literally reading Supreme Court decisions that suggest gay marriage should be revisited, whether or not that should be legal, it's like, if a hot dog brings me joy, I'm going to do that. Or if not eating a hot dog, as we learned in this book, or a ham sandwich is important to you, that's important to us as well. That's right? also fine. I mean, yeah, whatever whatever treat does it for you, do it. Hot dogs, not hot dogs. That is the premise s'mores, of living in a society. Season. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> S'more season is upon us, although I did light a marshmallow on fire this weekend, and then I lit the stick I had it on on fire out in my driveway, and I was like, this could end badly. I'm not really sure how to resolve this. So it was fine. But, you know, I'm still on a path of learning how to do that, I guess. You know, hot take, if you're not willing to have a marshmallow that has been completely engulfed in flames, you don't want a s'mores. You want a candy bar. What? That's my take. If you're not willing to have a marshmallow that has been completely under fire, no, just go Allison, have a candy no. bar. I'm sorry. That's how no, I roll. No, Allison, that is such an insane take, honestly. Like, nope. it tastes burnt. Like, it's like you literally are eating it and you're like, wow, I feel like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Like, I'm a chimney sweep now. Like, how did I get here? That's my experience. Are you at a cookout? Like, Like, if you're at a cookout with me, you need to be prepared. Cookout, but not burnout. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Listen, I, this is, you know, like, this, this is something that I, I am willing to like. I think it's a deep stand for you. I think it's very important that we have, you know, based on what we've learned over these years from American Girl books about our birthdays. It's like honoring exactly how people want to celebrate is important. I think that's right. Unfortunately, I'm in a place now where it's like I'm turning 36 this year, which I can't fathom. I refuse to accept that. But I was never into boy bands when that was actually happening, unless you count the Beatles, which I know is like so basic of me, but whatever. I this Harry Styles album and like watching this concert that he uploaded on YouTube I'm like I get it now I understand what One Direction was all about even though I was too old for that when that was happening but I didn't care about NSYNC didn't care about the Backstreet Boys and it's like weirdly now in my 30s I understand it all like I don't so I feel like for my birthday I just want to roller skate and I want to listen to Harry Styles and Lizzo and disco and that's it and I know that that's your nightmare but I'm just saying that's where I'm at in my life right now I think Rebecca would support that. Like, I think Rebecca is all about, like, getting people to rally around you for things that you truly enjoy, right? Like, there's some pushback she gets with that hat. There's pushback she gets with the hat, although I do want to say, like, moment of silence, except I'm going to speak during it, for the twins, because when we met them, we knew two things about them. Their personalities based on being 14 And they love reading screen actor magazines and going to the movies. 
And, you know, Jackie even lets us know where she's like, the twins are pretty jealous at this point. When Max is like, want to come to work with me? And Rebecca's like, absolutely. It's like, could he not have brought the twins? He doesn't like the twins at the level that he likes Rebecca Rubin, just like us. I know, but it's like when you're an uncle or an aunt, and again, I am not, I feel like it's it's your duty unspoken to be like, I'm not going to like show the favoritism. Like it will come out in the wash, but I'm not going to be like this obvious about it. But you know what? They never level up with him at the meals. He's doing the magic. He's putting himself out there. They do not level up with him the way that Rebecca is always willing to do that. And you know what? The one like... You know, my nephew Colin, we went to a house museum and he was like, I'd like to go on a specialty tour. Those are the words. Whoa. Who got a specialty so tour to paid for? Wow. Wow. He knew how to reach you. <laughs> but I feel like the twins are like us. Like the twins might just be like, look, we don't want to be in a play, but we're prepared to like be a fan of yours like they're a great audience they they've been a studied audience they go to the movies all the time so they would have been like fans where perhaps i guess like i'm talking myself into this as we talk about it but it's like maybe max was like game respects game i think you want to be an actor because you acted with me at the sabbath or you know one of the holiday celebrations you know we put on an unprompted improvised show of the folktale that resulted in Rebecca getting the pin. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of star turns for Rebecca. Like, being a ham pays off yeah. in this family. It does. With Uncle Max, at least. It does. I'm, I mean, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of them. I feel like I cannot wait to see, like, she's going to save the day. She's already saved, like, these recent series for me. Like, I love Caroline. I've loved a lot of these series, but it's like, Rebecca, you pulled us out of Yellow Fever, and I thank you for that. This is one of the first times that I've genuinely felt called to call the author and be like, can we be friends? Because I feel like she's cool. I don't know her at all, but I'm like, I feel like I wanted to call Val, but I'm scared of that conversation. Like, a lot of reasons why. And it's like Kathleen Ernst was the first time I like, I never thought we would speak to an author, but I'm just like, can we find this person? Like, she just seems really cool. I don't know. Like, could she be our Uncle Max? Like, I don't know. Let's be honest. Jackie's booked. Like, Jackie has a you cool... You think Jackie's booked? Jackie has right, a cool hat. If anybody knows Jackie, call us. <laughs> Jackie has a cool hat, like Rebecca Rubin, and Jackie's like, she's going to see oh the number God. call up on caller ID because she still has a landline, and she's like, put it oh, through Jackie, the phonograph. 100%. Jackie 100% <laughs> still has star 69, and she's like, I'll keep paying this bill because I think I'm still using it. Okay, Allison, dying question. If you could have a walk-on role in any movie, what's your movie and why? Oh, I know. That's so easy for me. That's so easy. What is it? It's Cruel Intentions, obviously. Whoa, why? The scene with the escalator, best scene in film, best scene in modern film to me. Um, That or Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, though, I'd have to be in an ugly outfit and I'd be like, you know, pushing potatoes around in the plate. They give me a 1990s haircut. They give me like a crop top and like the outfit. And I'm 20 feet from that cast. I'm happy. That's all I need. I want to see Ryan and Reese fall in love. I can't go there with you because you know, (laughs) you know, this is a triggering conversation for me because Allison are in the fullness of time, keeping in mind their youngest child just graduated from high school. Are you willing to admit? No. 
Are you willing to take a stand and just accept the truth in the same way that we are recording on a day that's called Wednesday, that is empirically true, that Ryan is responsible for that divorce? No, it's Thursday somewhere. Absolutely not. Nope. Allison, you know that that is the truth. And now that Hello Shine is like, Sunshine has been sold to venture capitalists for like millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, we're never going to see the incriminating Golden Globes tape in which Ryan... (laughs) visibly shoves Reese in a way that's still upsetting. I'm see it's like you know how sometimes you can see freeze frames of things in your mind and you're like, why do I remember this visual? Yes. That's me with that tape. And somebody took this down from YouTube years ago and that person should be ashamed of themselves because it's probably like a one night stand with Ryan who was like, hey baby, will you take this off YouTube? I know this sounds crazy, but I think this is real. You can see him drunkenly shove her if she's making her way to the stage to accept her Golden Globe for Walk the Line. And it's like, this is such a huge moment for her. Like, this was such a, like, oh my God. Like, she was going to the next level. And it's like, you can see this man literally not be able to handle it. And he (laughs) takes it out on her. And it's like... This is an image. This is everything that went wrong in their marriage. Like, I don't need to talk to anyone involved. I can see it. And it's gone off the internet. And I think as a courtesy to him, she probably will pay to keep it off the internet for their kids at this point. But I know that that's what happened. I mean, somebody write in. I mean, we're going to do a mailbag episode (laughs) soon. So if you have questions, write in about this. I I have a lot to say about this topic. But Allison, you know that you're wrong about this. You know, I don't entertain that narrative. Um, Perhaps Rebecca will have to come to my rescue by the time we are recording book five. But Mary, if people in the interim like feel as though they want to reach out to you, add to a legal brief, how how should they do that? I I have said my piece, like I'm still in the cruel intention space. I will not leave that space unless legally obligated to. So I mean, I'm currently forming a nonprofit called People for Answers from <laughs> Ryan Philippi. No. We will hire an intern to travel around to public workout sites outside <laughs> so in California where he that. can be found courting the paparazzi to take photos of him. That's where he's on his career. Fine. No judgments. But, you know, we want answers. We have questions. We want answers. I don't need the answers because I already know. But just, you know, for a sense of history, in the same way that I want Rebecca to someday grow up to be one of the former actresses who cements her legacy by taking part in an oral history project at a university that she funds like that would be iconic for her would love that if anybody wants to talk about literally any of this or just melissa mccarthy's new hgtv show which i am watching please get at me on instagram at mimi mahoney or twitter at mary mahoney one two three if you dm me i will write you back sometimes it takes me a while but i do get back to everybody and it's great to hear from folks allison if you would like to hear from People who just want to talk you down, want to talk some sense (laughs) into you, where can you be found? You can find me at Bittersweet Symphony Lover. No. Uh, You can find me at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. You can also reach out to us. We love when you send us DMs at a girls pod on Twitter. We're also American Girls Podcast on Instagram. We have a website with a phone number. We promise we never pick up, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. You can just leave us a message that we will listen to and absolutely love. can also leave us a review. Do all of those things. We appreciate absolutely all of it yes and we will be recording a mailbag episode at some point this summer so if you want to hear your voice on the show you can leave us a voicemail and tell us we can play it 
Um, you can decide whether or not you want to be anonymous or DM us or email us or all of those great things. And we do want to just tell you about some things that we're working on, some projects we have going on. Allison, do you want to talk about your latest project? So this month we are going to be watching 1776, the Mr. Feeney version for Patreon. And we are working with our fantastic new intern, Anna Lee, who is going to be making a community zine through the month of July 2022 that will be crowdsourced and shared. So if you send us stuff, uh, please let us know that it's okay to use it and that we can attribute it to you and incorporate it in the zine. And we're thinking of it as kind of like a peek into the present. So instead of a peek into the past, we're talking about life, liberty, and what it's like to live right now through your experiences. So feel free to send us things, anything from art, um, anything you want to send us digitally. It's really wide open. Excellent. And for those of us joining us on Patreon, we are doing, um, well, actually everyone can join our Wikipedia editing project this summer. We're going to share the link to the dashboard we're using. And I've also created a resource guide where you can see me explain how to like take you on a tour of Wikipedia, how to edit it, why it matters. And we're going to be working on pages of women and non-binary folks and whether it's historic events, works, subject pages, anything relevant. So you can suggest pages that we can all work on. And on our Discord for patrons, we have a channel where we're all going to chat at different times while we edit. But everyone, even if you're not on our Patreon, is welcome to join us. And we're going to make that link available to everybody. Um, So look forward to kind of meeting up with folks there and seeing what pages we can discover and work on together. Yeah, love it. And thank you all for participating and reaching out. We love to hear from you. Thanks very much. See you on our next episode.